0: Hello and welcome to the African Tech Roundup Episode 57 for the week ending Monday, May 16th, 2016. This is where we round up the week's most important tech, digital and innovation news from across the African continent. My name is Andy Lemassou, and with me is my partner on the show, Devo Mokapi. How's it, my guy? A
1: bit tired, but I'm good, man.
0: That's all right, man. Bring some energy. Bring some energy. We're going to need it because we also have a special guest joining us for the show this week. Um, It's hello to the brilliant, the insightful friend of the show, Dominic Collett, Senior Investment Executive at Rand Merchant Insurance Holdings. Welcome to you, Dominic.
2: Hello, thanks for having me on the show.
0: Absolute pleasure. And I say brilliant and insightful because I mean it. Every time I have a conversation with you, I emerge smarter and more well-informed. And so we're really pleased to have you on.
1: Because we'll definitely want to get to hear your take later on the mobile money saga that uh, involved Pesa shutting down in South Africa and just mobile money in general.
0: Yep, that's only got tongues wagging, tweeters tweeting last week. Vodacom, of course, admitting the failure of Impesa in South Africa and announcing its discontinuation in the country. Um, we have a hunch that you have some pretty strong opinions about what might have gone wrong. Am I right?
2: Me have strong opinions? Never. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, I, it definitely is a very interesting story and uh, I, it, it's just it's very telling and I'm very excited to talk about it.
0: Alright then, so stick around everyone listening because it's going to get fun up in here. By the way, if you're a first time listener, we definitely recommend that you catch up on all our past episodes by heading to africantechroundup.com
1: You can also give us a shout on social media via Twitter. Our handle there is at African Roundup and also on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash African Tech Roundup.
0: That's right, but before we go any further, this episode of the African Tech Roundup is brought to you by FreshBooks. Now, FreshBooks is offering listeners of the African Tech Roundup a 30-day free trial to put their service to the test. FreshBooks is of course the easy to use invoicing software designed to help freelancers and small business owners get organized. Save time invoicing and get paid faster. Now, if that sounds good to you, head to gofreshbooks.com forward slash African Tech and try it out for free.
1: For this week's discussion, as I mentioned earlier, we're going to take advantage of having Dominique on the show and chat to her about Mpesa first and then talk about generally mobile money and where it's going on the continent.
0: Yes, we'll try and predict what the future might have in store in terms of innovation in that space, so be sure to stick around. But of course, we have the week's headlines to get through first and before that, an audio comment we received from one of our listeners in the US.
1: Yep, that clip is a reaction to the topic. Rian Graham, last week I wasn't here, was talking to... Andila about uh, the big deal about Wi-Fi. Take a listen.
3: My name is Nicholas. I'm a computer science student in the Washington, D.C. area in the United States. I'm a big fan of the program, and I wanted to thank you for sharing what's going on in the tech scene around Africa and the rest of the world. Near the end of last week's program, your guest was asked about responding to people that are not as passionate about Wi-Fi as he is. I had a few thoughts on the subject that I wanted to share. If knowledge is power and education is the bridge to a better future, then the Internet is the ultimate equalizer because it contains the combined sum of all human knowledge up to this point. Internet access is something denied to the majority of the world. Providing access to information and education can empower people around the globe to reach the full potential. Internet access is access to education, economic development, communication, global inclusion, and innovation. The Internet is the new printing press. Providing increased access can facilitate government accountability an independent media and the highlighting of human rights violations. Wireless access is a key component in providing Internet access. Access doesn't automatically guarantee inclusion, and I understand that you can't just slap up access points or give someone a computer and expect change to just magically happen. There has to be education process to help provide context to information and training on what those tools can do for a community. Context is very important. The fact that I was able to discover this program in the U.S. and listen to it every week is evidence of the power that the Internet has. With access, there's no skill, information, or knowledge that can't be given to someone. At the very end of the program, a comment was made asking if an increase in Wi-Fi access or a cure to AIDS would be a more important innovation for Africa. I believe that one can facilitate the other. As access to information is increased on the continent, more people gain access to education. Developing a generation of people with increased access to knowledge can result in more scientists, engineers, and teachers coming from Africa. By including more Africans in the global knowledge ecosystem, we're tapping into the brain power and experience of a continent where civilization began. With more educated minds working on the problem of HIV and AIDS, who knows where a solution will come from eventually. Thanks for bringing up these important issues. Have a great day.
0: Thank you, Nicholas. You've made some solid points there, buddy. Uh, There's no doubt that free access to the Internet would contribute to empowering Africa's poor. But one, I do think we should take care not to overhype its positive potential. I figure there's many structural economic issues at play that Wi-Fi won't fix.
1: I disagree with you. I agree with Nicholas. Well, it won't fix all our problems, but it enables a lot of activity, including economic activity. So internet access does help.
0: Two, I figure, uh, we can't ignore the power and scale wielded by fixed line and mobile telcos who are yet to embrace Wi-Fi technology. And that was the, the context in which uh, my discussion with Ryan was last week. I mean, we hear the mobile telcos talk about LTE, LTEU last week. Uh, not a lot of, of uh, intent to sort of bring Wi-Fi on board or create this seamless connectedness that we'd all, you know, want out of an experience as end users. But um, they're frantically trying to work out profitable data-driven business models. And I figure until they do, we're pretty much going to experience, you know, the status quo as it is.
1: Well, look, it's a business model thing. Other mobile telcos, it, it takes a lot of investment to lay fiber or copper into the ground to be able to provide uh, Wi-Fi access. So that's not their game. They're more into the building towers and providing you with 3G and LTE access.
0: And as Rian said, of course, being a supplementary network to what's already there, which in my view, in my view still, there are hints of conflict of interest as or as far as the mobile telcos are concerned in that area. It's a space they probably still want to inhabit. Nevertheless, that was last week's discussion. Nicholas, I don't want to take anything away from your contribution. Um, I, I, I still agree, probably not to the extent Defo does.
1: I fully agree with him. You know my thoughts.
0: I know he's this is a wi-fi freak right here <laughs> are you, are you supposed to say something uh, Dominique?
2: No, I mean, I think just the importance is is that we can't underestimate how important it is for people to be able to access the internet and what it is from a a democratization of services it is because a rich person and a poor person accesses the same information. And I think from an equalization of society point of view, it's incredibly important because I think you know we live in a world where we are so used to lots of information and and we've been used to lots of information for an incredibly long time in our lives. Um, And if we are able, to bring that to another level. We're able to sort of change business models. We're able to change the way people think. So I have to say, I really agree with Tefour. I think it can solve a lot of our problems that we haven't even begun to imagine because of that de- democratization effect. I think
0: I'm jaded because of my proximity to all this access to the internet. And I perhaps I've forgotten what it was like, uh, what life might've looked like or might've been like for me had I been out in the middle of, say, uh, remotest east-west... Uh, Africa, even North Africa, where, uh, you know, and not having grown up with it. And maybe I am jaded and a little, a tad too pragmatic for for Defo's liking. But uh, yeah, I I, I totally take your point. Listen, uh, Nicholas, thanks again for your contribution. Remember, you too can be part of the show by sending us an audio comment on any of the topics we discuss or news items we cover. Simply email us using hello at africantechroundup.com. And now on to the news. And Dominique, you're welcome to chip in at will.
2: Thank you. You never have to ask me twice. (laughs)
0: This is good. First up, Uganda has done it again. Mobile networks blocked access to social media networks for President Museveni's inauguration.
1: This is his fifth inauguration, am I right? So 25 years as a president? This is ridiculous. I mean, the reason they gave the Ugandan Communications Commission was saying that it's for security and emergency purposes. Coincidentally, that was when the inauguration was happening. And also the Umeme, which is uh, Uganda's electricity provider like ASCOM in South Africa announced via Twitter after the block, how ironic, saying that uh, electricity shutdowns or, you know, like load shedding that were planned for the day of the inauguration won't happen as planned. They will happen the following day. So, come on.
0: Okay, so electricity could work, social media not so much. (laughs) And the thing is, um, at which point, and this came up the last time this happened in Uganda, this was around...
1: It was around election time.
0: That's right. So the question comes up, shouldn't we be taking, one, the mobile networks to task, and two, the actual social networks that don't seem to be factoring in on the debate? Shouldn't we be taking, say, Twitter to task over this?
1: Not as much Twitter because they can't do anything. I mean, they offer a service, they don't block anyone. But the MTNs, your Airtels, are the ones that should be taken to task. MTN, during the inauguration or on the day that the block was announced, announced that they received a directive from the UGC saying that, the UCC, apologies, saying that they should block and they're going to comply without offering any resistance. So they should be taken to task. But going back to your discussion last week and some discussions we've had about Wi Fi and free Wi Fi, this brings into question the idea of who should be responsible for free internet access to people? Because clearly we can't trust uh, mobile service providers because they block whenever a government says block. The last time during elections in Uganda, even worse, something we might touch on, they also blocked mobile money services over a period of like four days. So that's ridiculous.
0: Your thoughts, Dom?
2: Look, for me, this is like a game of whack-a-mole. Um, you know, And I think if ever you needed the validation of the power of social media, this is it. It just shows you how threatened governments are by it. It just shows you how threatened corporations are by it. Um, and when I say it's like whack-a-mole, I mean, governments can try to do as much as they want to suppress the power of the people, but it's going to pop up. So they can do it for a day. It doesn't reduce the anxiety. It doesn't reduce the anger. Um, and they can, only, they can only stand against this tide for so long. That's my view. Um, we've seen it in incredibly repressive states like China. These things eventually up. Well, it, it
0: didn't stop the inauguration uh, trending on Twitter, ironically. so.
2: Well, exactly. And if it's going to be blocked in that country, it's not going to be blocked in other countries. So the message still gets out there because we live in a global economy.
0: Yes, and of course, trending for all sorts of reasons like mm, the guest list they had. But that's another, that's a non-tech issue we're not going to delve into now. <laughs> to Nigeria next. Where some folks in the developer scene are chuffed at the shout out they got from Mark Zuckerberg following the launch of Free Basics uh, in Nigeria in partnership with Airtel.
1: Yep, he gave a shout out to Nigerian developers, but specifically Jobberman, which is a sort of a recruitment site, one of the largest recruitment sites in uh, Nigeria, owned by One Media Group. If I'm not, if I'm not wrong.
0: Yes, and uh, an interesting story involving One Media Group coming up a little later on. But it's interesting that he points out success stories, as it were, celebrating the the progress being made on the continent, Nigeria specifically. No doubt he's buttering them up to. <laughs> to <laughs> So, no one Christian's free basics being rolled out in Nigeria. We see you, Mark. We see you.
1: Yeah, I mean, this is a it's strategic. He's, I think, Mark has be has, has grown into becoming a CEO and is sort of slowly shedding off that techie vibe he has. So he's being very strategic in the things he says and how he does things. So.
0: Oh yeah, and learning Chinese, and he must come he must come to Nigeria, must learn a couple of languages there. <laughs> Oh, I'm kidding. Well, listen, let, let us know how uh, the Free Basics vibe is going for you, Nigeria. We'd love to hear about it. Give us a shout on Twitter, at African Roundup. Um, are you happy it's there? Um, we, of course, you know at the show, we're, we're super pro uh, net neutrality. And Free Basics, of course, we're not huge fans of it. It's, it's well known at this point. But uh, let us know if, it's, if it's, it's making a difference. Maybe, again, we're not being... Um, Optimistic enough as to, you know, what free bases can do for someone who didn't have internet before. Let us know, Nigeria. Give us a shout. Bring it to South Africa now, where First National Bank is in a particularly disruptive mood. Now, the bank is set to be the first financial institution in South Africa to launch a mobile network when it starts selling SIM cards on the 15th of June.
1: Interesting. The network is going to run off cell C. But also, just before we continue with the story, there was another MVNO launched, I think, a week or two back. But this one was strictly Afrikaans network. And it was funny because they were saying that uh, you can only allow – this is – I'm translating from Afrikaans, and my Afrikaans is a bit bad. They said this is the network that allows you to call in Afrikaans. But which network doesn't?
2: Look, it's a very exciting strategy. We've long seen the convergence of mobile and telco, and it's been hyped up for quite a long time. Um, and I think what's exciting about this is we've seen the mobile network operators moving into banking. Now we're seeing bankers moving moving into mobile network operators into that world. Um, you know, from a business perspective, it's incredibly expensive for the banks to sit on the mobile network operators in terms of what it costs for cell phone banking, what it, what it costs for the messaging and communications. I think it's super exciting just from a data analytics perspective, what they can understand from a customer offering point of view. I think it's super exciting.
0: Yeah, I suppose they're returning the favor. Disrupt us, we'll disrupt you. Not now, the bank plans to sell 24-month voice data and SMS contract deals as well as, quote-unquote, flexi options that allow clients to customize their own contracts in terms of time periods and offerings. They've also said that they'll be offering free calls on the f and app. I've tried it. It's horrendous. Uh, well, I tried it a long time ago. And when when they first launched it on the app, so, you, you know, the same app you use to transact, uh, you can now call each, you know call someone else on that app. It wasn't great, but so was WhatsApp when it first started. So maybe this is a great thing. Um, yeah, look at you, FNB, uh, taking on the mobile networks. I wonder what the conversations in a place like, say, Vodacom or MTN, over something like this?
1: I don't think they're that much worried. This is more a niche. I mean, being an MVNO is more about niche plan and offering added services on top of the voice, the data, and the SMS services. So probably they're going to bundle this with what they're already doing around cell phone packages, tablet packages, et cetera.
0: And of course, uh, the mobile telcos can't be too mad because I think the banks, as far as, I'm, as far as I know, are still easily one of the largest super sellers of airtime and and other services linked to their success. So I don't imagine they'll be causing too much noise. They probably will be trying to innovate quickly to figure out how to make the most of this data-driven future that's coming for us. Anyway. Uh, no doubt, this week's biggest merger news: uh, Ringier Africa and One Africa Media, as you mentioned earlier, have decided to bring together their Pan-African classified assets to form what is now the continent's largest classifieds group. So creatively called Ringier One Africa Media. <laughs> no, no, no. Of course, they. Uh, <laughs>
1: Very creative. This probably makes them one of the largest, if not the largest, uh, classified provider. So guys like eBay's Gumtree would be uh, pretty much worried.
0: Yeah, I mean, <laughs> look, I mean, they're making the most of the, the brands they built. So good, good, good for them. But the um, new entity p- comprises some of the continent-leading homegrown brands, including uh, Job, Jobberman, which of course Mark Zuckerberg gave a shout out to um, earlier this week. Uh, Brighter Monday, Cheeky Byron, Kenya Private Property, Nigeria. As well, of course, as, as brands that Ringier Africa brings to the table, Expat Dakar, Zoom Tanzania, and PGME, they're going to take the market by storm, I think.
1: Well, uh, many players. I mean, in South Africa, I don't think they're strong. As I mentioned, we've got Gumtree, we've got uh, Bidobai, we've got several others that would take them on. So I'd like to see what their plan is in terms of expansion.
0: Execution in this business is pretty much where things you know, either work or don't, and uh, I think Ringier is meant to be bringing their expertise in as far as that's concerned. Uh, they have said that the existing shareholders of both companies will continue to invest in this new venture and build out its market leadership. Yeah, we can expect to see some, some of the people you've mentioned try and out-innovate them in this space, perhaps out-execute them in this space. But also there's the issue of mergers and what they often do in terms of the people who work at these firms. What do you think the people um, at, say, Jobberman can expect out of news like this, Dom? Yeah,
2: you know, mergers are always very difficult. The, I think I also get very nervous when you see pan-African mergers because people assume that you can create these super giants across Africa and each country is so unique, each culture is so unique. If you look at a place like Nigeria, I mean, different parts of nigeria are so different um and i i I think it's quite dangerous i think you try implement one culture where you're trying to deal with um, lots of different tribes you're dealing with different languages so i think people are going to be stressed i think it's going to be a very difficult thing to integrate and i think it's going to be very difficult to operationalize it'll be an interesting one to watch but um mergers are very tough
0: And let's hope in terms of leadership, they're not applying a cut and paste approach here. Because like you say, East Africa, West Africa, North Africa, totally different ballgame in each case. Look, they've got a three regional focus, they say. Nigeria and Ghana in terms of English speaking West Africa. Kenya, Tanzania and Uganda in East Africa. And Senegal in terms of French speaking West Africa, which I'd imagine need different approaches entirely for each region. So we'll see what what comes of it. And um, here's to hoping not too many people get the axe and everyone's happy at the end of the day. Meanwhile, in Kenya, though, uh, former vice president of marketing at Conga, Gabriel Gab-Umodin, has launched a new service called Legend. Now, now Legend plans to provide premium content, TV, internet, and voice services over high-speed fiber. And by the looks of it, uh, video demand seems to be the main draw. He's clearly not cared about the Netflix factor, never mind Iroka TV, it seems.
1: He needs to give Jason Joku a call. What he's trying to do is pretty tough, especially in markets where broadband is not as pervasive as uh, you'd think, like the U.S. So trying to bring a VOD service that relies on broadband is going to be pretty tough. And I think he's just trying to do too much. I mean, he's trying to provide premium internet, and video, et cetera, et cetera, and he's just starting out.
0: He's trying to do what I feel in terms of scale and reach. The mobile telcos are better equipped to, to try and do because they already have subscribers, they already have um, clients coming to them for something and it's a matter of trying to keep them within the ecosystem. He's trying to create an ecosystem, convince us it's great, offer us stuff that, you know, exclusive content or premium content, as he puts it, that we can't get anywhere else.
2: From what I've observed in Kenya is that this is an incredibly competitive space and it looks very crowded. And when you just look at the sheer size of the market, it's not that big. So I just don't think that this market can absorb this many players and for them all to be profitable. At some stage, there's got to be consolidation. I think there's going to be big fallout. So I just think it's a very big, bold strategy to be launching in a market that I don't think is big enough. I
0: suppose he's hoping he'll stick and everyone else will fall away. Well, good luck to you, though. Um, Please prove us wrong. We'd love to be proved wrong. Um, But yeah, VOD seems to be in 2016 just as sexy a proposition to some people as it was in 2015. Good luck to them. Finally, though. Vodacom has admitted that efforts to roll out Impesa in, in South Africa have failed. Moment of silence.
1: They didn't say they failed. They blamed the South African developed banking sector. So they're not taking the blame.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah. This is not us. This is not on execution. We didn't mess up. Uh, (laughs) We didn't miscalculate. Uh, Of course, instead of the 10 million active users we hope to bring online in three years, we've only managed to onboard 76,000 in six years. But of course, it's not our fault. It's the banking industry that's too developed right here in South Africa. Uh, I see (laughs) Dominic's getting very antsy.
2: You know, I I just, I think the story is such an interesting one because there's so many reasons why impairs have failed and it's so difficult to point to one thing. But I think as a starting point, if we look over the last six years, what other things have launched? You know, we've seen the phenomenal growth of Capitec. We've seen Capitec add over 3 million banking customers onto their base and we've seen over 3 million customers switch their primary bank account to Capitec. We saw the launch of Mobile Money, which was operating by time, which obviously I have a particular fondness for, where we were able to bank over a million customers in the space of nine months. Um, We've been able to see the rise of things like Hello Pesa. We've seen things like ShopRite Money Market, which has continued to go from strength to strength. They have over five million customers on their books and they continue to grow. So Yes, we have a highly developed banking sector, but despite that, we've seen three very successful businesses thrive over the last six years. So you certainly can't blame the banking sector at all.
1: And I think in all this, nobody's mentioning FNB's e- wallet, which I think also killed Mpesa because it also allowed non-FNB customers to send money to FNB or non-FNB customers.
0: Yeah, it definitely caught other banks napping because I think within like a week or at least a month of them launching eWallet, everyone else was trying to launch theirs. And they're like, why didn't you just go ahead and even put it out in beta or something, Uh, you know? So, yeah, it's it's a bit strange, though. I'm often amused at how emotional Kenyan Twitter gets, though. Uh, Whenever anything to do with M-Pesa is discussed, it's curious, though, the the way Safaricom engendered a sense of ownership over M-Pesa. It's quite a stroke of genius. I wonder how many people actually realize Vodafone owns it.
1: They do realize it, but I think they feel proud that it's it's an innovation that started because of Kenyan needs and out of Kenya. So I think they're proud of it that way.
0: So let me ask the question then. Don't we have the same needs in South Africa? Surely we do. Is this an execution issue?
2: So for me, this was an execution issue and this was a product market fit issue. So if you look at it, is that... South Africans have the same need as Kenyans, as in they need to send money from one place to another. What m did in South Africa, however, did not offer a solution that was 10 times better than what was currently out there. Whereas products like the money market counter at ShopRite is 10 times better. The mobile money product launched by MTN was 10 times better. Capitec's offering is 10 times better. So it comes down to slick execution. It comes down to having the right product for the right market and really solving a customer need. In person, South Africa had a, couple of, uh, like had a couple of flaws. First of all, they designed a very clunky product that had a terrible customer experience. Anybody who tried to open up an account couldn't. You had a system where there was no cash. So for a money remittance product to work, you have to have a cash agency. You have to be able to go to a place to deposit cash, and you have to be able to get cash out on the other side. And that was something that they completely overlooked in their model. Um, And on the third basis, you've got to make sure that it's open loop. In this country, we've got a very heavy banking infrastructure, and we've got customers who are used to interacting in a certain way. Vodacom didn't have 76% market share like they did in Kenya, where they could launch a closed-loop wallet. Vodafone in in South Africa did not have enough market penetration to adopt the same model. So you combine all these factors and you just say, are you surprised that they're pulling out and they fail?
0: Based on what you're saying, they were leaning on their database and hoping and thinking that it would be just a simple matter of converting existing clients into users of this platform, which, of course, rude awakening. Didn't happen. Now, speaking of market fit, we're going to uh, kick off this week's discussion uh, on what the future of mobile payments on the continent might look like by playing a clip featuring the two founders of a Durban-based fintech startup called Ikoka, who in the same week, Vodacom announced the discontinuation of Mpesa in South Africa, launched a mobile credit card reader.
1: We asked Mike Putman and Ramsey Daly to tell us how their device works, what makes it different to other solutions like Yoko's card reader and Absa's Pebble, and whether looking ahead they think that the use of credit and debit cards will be an integral part of how Africans and people all over the world transact.
0: Also, given the recent failure of PESA in South Africa and assuming that their credit card reader is the first of several innovations they plan to roll out, we asked them to tell us how Ikoka plans to grow and thrive within Africa's mobile payment space.
4: At Ikorka, we still feel that cards have a very important role to play in the South African payments ecosystem, and we think that there's a lot of work to be done in the informal spaces in terms of driving card usage and card acceptance. However, that being said, we realize that there are multiple forms of payment emerging, and we feel that if your customer wants to pay with it, you should be able to accept it. That's why we've developed an app that enables cash, card, and digital acceptance for our SME merchants. Ikorka differentiates itself through access and pricing. At the moment, you can walk into selected game stores nationally, purchase an Ikorka card reader, and walk out within two hours and start trading. That we think is pretty awesome. The pricing itself is available on a one off purchase model or a monthly rental, and the commission at 2.75% per transaction is really compelling. Apart from that, the app provides awesome business analytics and sales tools and is really empowering for South Africa's young entrepreneurs. People are able to purchase the e card machine at selected game stores nationally where they'll be required to bring in some Fika documentation. Otherwise, they're able to sign up at www.ecorka.com um, and we'll deliver it to them within three to five days. Once you've purchased the E-Korka card machine, you simply download the app from either the Google Play or iTunes Store. You follow the on-screen prompts of when to plug in your ECOCA card machine and process the transaction. Since finalizing our channel partnership agreement with Game in late 2015, we've really focused on achieving a shared vision of bringing affordable card payment services to the SME in South Africa. We've looked at how our systems work and how we can make the process of signing up as efficient as possible. Apart from this, we've got a number of key partnerships and other channels that we're working on, which you'll hear about in the next couple of months. But for now, this has been a really big focus for us, and we're really excited. We felt that Impesa would struggle in South Africa, given the entrenched banking culture of our nation, as well as initiatives such as the MasterCard Sasa product and the prevalence of low-cost debit cards. What we feel will ultimately drive sustainable growth in African payments is multi-token acceptance, as well as the provision of other relevant digital financial products that our merchants can on-sell and broader functionality within the app, such as inventory and stock management.
0: Right. So, Dominique, do you think they're right about plastic cards continuing to be important going forward? And if so, do you think that's a South African dynamic or a trend we should expect to see in other African markets?
2: so I mean I think this has been a big debate for a long time is the card versus mobile thing. The, the reality is in South Africa cards aren't going anywhere for, for quite a long time and a lot of it has to do with um, consumer behavior and the emotional attachment around card um, and this is one of those things where you've got to understand the nuances of a local market and how consumers interact and how they assign status to certain things. So in South Africa there is a tokenization when it comes to cards, there's a status symbol attached to it so I don't see them going anyway, anytime soon unfortunately. Um, they are costly they do add a big cost burden and fraud burden to the system, the banking system, but they are here to stay the rest of Africa is a very different story. I think there we are going to see the leapfrog of card. I think despite the efforts that Visa and MasterCard are going to, I just don't think you have the same um, customer entrenched customer behavior. And the cost dynamics of the card infrastructure and the card rails are just too large for those economies. And I think we've got much better technology and much better systems in place than the card rails.
0: So I had a chat with uh, Barclays Africa Chief Executive for Corporate and Investment Banking, Stephen Collar, and he reckons that unlike uh, more developed markets like the U.S., uh, fintech startups like Ikoka need to access the influence and scale of legacy players like yourselves um, in order to have a hope at survival and even success. Do you agree? <laughs>
2: <laughs> of course I agree um, but I, I, mean, I think what is important is that obviously a, a group like RMI um, comes with a lot of experience and a lot of entrepreneurial experience and I think that's the thing is that I love the fresh creativity that you get in these vintage companies, I love the na- naivety that comes in building a business for the first time um, but I think you do need to match that with some experience because understanding how to build a business and understanding how to scale a business, it's fairly easy to get a business up and running but go Going through a significant scale journey and building something for industrial strength is something where you need a little bit of grey-haired wisdom to take you through to understand those things.
0: Even at time, you you did need some help. <laughs> I mean, you, you had a great idea that would potentially disrupt incumbents, but ironically, you still needed their support in order to get it up and running, right?
2: Mm-hmm. You know, it's an interesting one because I always say, you know, time was the most expensive startup in the world, <laughs> and it was, you know. The, this, this tension between... Fresh thinking and experienced bankers is the thing that we always discuss in the fintech world. Because I always say, understand what you're breaking before you break it. Um, you know, in in our case, we had quite a solid team of bankers who understood the system inside out. We understood the weak points. We understood the economics of the business. So when we were actually trying to break it, we understood the fracture points. Um, and yes, you do bring in some jaded thinking. Yes, you do bring in some box thinking, which is why you need to introduce into your team some very fresh thinking. But I do get a little bit nervous. When you've got very young, creative, fresh minds that aren't paid with any industry experience, so I think ideally you need that natural tension.
0: So, what do you say like, to skeptics who aren't convinced that innovation can be manufactured in corporate innovation hubs like Alpha Code? And of course, ICOCA is a member of you know the Alpha Code; uh, they're a member of the club. Uh, there's precious little evidence, to to be honest, in to show for um, how hubs like these actually create the type of innovation that you know game-changing innovation we'd like to see.
2: Yeah, the, the problem is, is that we ha- they haven't been around long enough to actually do significant studies and to actually see whether or not they work. The only thing we do know that works is, is that if people have the right conversations at the right times, they can change the trajectory of their businesses. So that's the only thing we do know. And if you've built a business <laughs> and you've been fortunate to get a good deal at the right time and be influenced by right people at the right time, you do know how the course of history changes. So, you know, that's certainly the philosophy and the thesis we have here is that it's less about teaching. teaching. Teaching people innovation, because I agree you can't teach innovation. I also think it's difficult to teach entrepreneurship. I think it's either something in your blood or it's not. You either love risk or you don't, or you're either willing to really apply your mind to difficult things. Um, But what you can help um, sort of young entrepreneurs with is making the right connections. Because when you're starting out, you can't make, you can't just phone up, pick and pay or game. If you're a no, if you like Joe Blogs, and I think that's where these sort of things really, really, really do help.
1: I think Alpha Code is sort of perfect. You don't develop innovation inside a hub, in a corporate hub, but you acquire it like they're doing. So they invest in, if I'm not wrong, invest in other startups. So they acquire that, bring it inside, and pair it, as uh, Dominique says, with the knowledge that they have, with their experience, and with access to markets, with access to suppliers, with access to systems, etc.
2: I think there's also one thing that is quite important for us to note and, and, and for us to add is our philosophy is very much these businesses need to be independent. So I think that's another thing that we are very strong on. I personally believe in very strongly is that businesses need to be allowed to thrive and can't be interfered with too much. You know, the greats, the Adrian Gores of Discovery and Willem Roess of Outurance, um, they are Almost uncomfortable in the sense that they are going to do what they're going to do, and that's what makes them great. So this idea that you're going to take a business and somehow bring that ingenuity and that young startup into your corporate by having it in proximity, that's not how this works. So our view is can we identify that fire and that passion, and can we just give the guys the capital they need to keep on going? as opposed to artificially trying to inject it into other places.
0: And can we introduce them to game, who, of course, part of the Walmart-owned MassMart group, uh, you know, get them the type of distribution they could never have gotten, like you say, without you. And, and so what do you reckon is the most common misconception uh, held by offshore players who are throwing their hats in the ring and joining Africa's mobile money scene and perhaps don't have the, the experience or the exposure to, the, to these markets that perhaps someone like you has had?
2: The biggest misconception is that there's a billion people in this place called Africa and that they don't understand that our individual markets are fairly small. I think that's the most difficult thing is that is you actually have to view each African country as a separate deployment. And actually, when you start to look at the economies of that, it becomes quite difficult. So guys kind of go, well, great, I'll use Kenya as my launching pad for East Africa, or I'll use Ghana as my launching pad for West Africa, and I'll have one op- operation and move it into a number of different territories. It doesn't work that way. If you're going to have a successful financial services operation from, from a country point of view, you have to have one instance in every single country. And it's really, really, really expensive to do that. We're not a monogamous group of people. Um, You know, the people in South Africa in one part are as different as they are in in East Africa, in West Africa. And I think that's one of the biggest misconceptions.
0: So the last time we spoke, you were brutally honest about the challenges that legacy players uh, in terms of, you know, the banking industry, the insurance industry uh, are having on the continent. And so... Give us a sense of what firms like yours are getting right in terms of positioning to remain relevant and uh, necessary and what you guys are still struggling with.
2: I think the only thing that we're getting right is that potentially finding the right partners to work with. We're very much partner led. So we say we need to find the right people to back. We don't believe that we know how to do it, but we believe that we need to find the right people to guide us and we need to find the right people to back. So we're very people centric. And I think it's always people who build great businesses. It's not corporates that build great businesses. I think we're getting that right. I think the things that we are struggling with when it comes to the rest of Africa is that Africa is really challenging and you really need to know what you're doing. Even, for example, finding the right partners is that you don't find the right partners by doing suitcase banking. You don't find the right partners by flying in and out. And you need to understand that market in detail. And you really need to find someone that you trust. And I think that's one of the things that we're struggling with is just finding the people and understanding the markets intimately enough that we feel we can make a success of it successful.
0: In terms of partnership, just this past week, uh, you guys announced a partnership with data aggregation and data analytics firm, uh, New York listed a business, uh, Investnet, uh, Investnet Yodli. What would drive you to reach out to a partner like that? What is it they, they're providing that you're hoping to leverage here at Alpha Codes or at RMI in general?
2: So, what was great about that is they reached out to us. <laughs> and I think what was fantastic about that is you know, a, a crowd like Yodli, they obviously have identified um, Africa as as a big growth area for them, particularly for South Africa. So they've said we need to be able to to increase our footprint there. So they said let's have an understanding of who the key players are from an innovation point of view and Alpha Code came up as one of those names, which we're super proud of, given that we've only really been around for nine months. Um, the reason we think it's quite exciting is that I think these aggregation plays and the ability to extract data that the customers say, I'm happy for someone other than just my bank to have this information is super powerful um, because we're shifting the power away from the incumbents towards new powerful players Um, and I think it's going to give rise to new business models that we haven't thought of um, and new business models that are really driven by consumer need.
0: So I'm going to ask you to put your futurist cap on. What does mobile money look like in the next five years in terms of the playing fields. We'll start with South Africa, where you're based, obviously. But what do you see uh, in terms of, the, you know, the evolution of innovation in the space?
2: From a South African perspective, I have to be honest, I think mobile money and or digital banking is going to stay. I don't think it's going to move um, to the MNOs. Um, I think we've already seen that. I also am not convinced that it's going to move to other players like the retailers, etc. I think it's going to stay within the financial services world, but I think there's going to be more interesting partnerships. I think we're going to see more interesting collaborations where it's more brand-led um, with some financial services regulatory um, support. Across the rest of the continent, I think there we've got more greenfields opportunities, and I think we're going to see some challenges come out of the space. Again, I don't think this is going to be led by the MNOs. I think the MNOs have got enough trouble, m- enough problems to focus on in their core business, and I don't think they are going to be able to tackle this issue. So I think there we're going to see some very exciting stuff coming out of the, the sort of the, the real startups, and I think some real challenges are going to come up.
0: Not least uh, regulation issues that mobile telcos would need to overcome in, in many African countries that are now requiring them to have uh, financial licenses and actually force them to, to work with with partners who perhaps are already in that space. Interesting what you're saying about uh, innovations you see coming, being brand led. And to me, that might be a function of trust or lack of trust or trust that perhaps banks need to rebuild financial institutions have to rebuild i mean one of the more interesting things to come out of the world economic forum uh on africa in kigali this past week is this whole debate around um uh, the british prime minister uh, being caught you know saying Nigeria is this diabolically corrupt place and, and yet he's he's been implicated in the panama papers in some way and um and of course the, the Nigerian president saying listen uh, you guys just help us out by <laughs> by letting your your banking institutions you know return all the money that's being stolen from the continent there's a lot of trust issues i think in in terms of the legacy business going forward and how do you and i've asked you this before for, for the benefit of people who perhaps didn't hear those conversations how how do we overcome how do legacy institutions overcome or the, the loss of trust in these institutions
2: To be honest with you, I think it's very difficult for them to do it um, if they are going to insist on trying to do it themselves. This is why I think partnerships with brands are so important because I think you're dealing with a generation that feels very left down. Um, If you look at what's happened since the the financial crisis, I mean, people have lost complete faith in the financial services sector. Um, There's a lot of um, people have lost faith in politicians. um, And a lot of people feel that there's quite a corrupt relationship between the two, which is why, for me, people trust tech brands so much. People trust Apple, people trust Google, um, people trust Facebook, they trust Twitter, and these are things that our incumbent organizations don't want to hear. If you look at the research out there with millennials, they say that they would rather have a banking product from Google or from Square than they would from any of the big institutions. Um, so, I mean, for me, the large incumbent should really be saying, okay, well, let's do what we're good at, which is the regulatory piece, it's the compliance piece, it's some of the operations piece, but let's acknowledge who's really powerful in this space and let's partner with them. And let's actually stop trying to fight the market. Let's stop stop trying to fight consumer sec, um, sentiment. And let's actually work with the guys at the Consumers Trust. That's my view.
0: Fantastic. Well, listen, we want to know what your view is uh, in terms of mobile money. Where do you think it's going? Uh, you've got eyes on your corner of the continent. And we want to hear about how mobile money um, and innovations in that space are changing lives where you live. Tell us all about it. Give us a shout on Twitter at African Roundup. You can send an email to hello at africantechroundup.com and uh, like you heard earlier, we'd love for you to send an audio comment so that Africa can hear your voice as you share your position on things and we'll definitely include it as part of the show.
1: Once again, this episode of the African Tech Roundup is brought to you by Fresh Books. Are you a freelancer or a small business owner trying to Get organized, save time, invoicing, and get paid faster. Well, FreshBooks is an easy-to-use invoicing software designed to help freelancers and small business owners get organized, save time, invoicing, and get paid faster. Sounds
0: like they solve all the three problems you might have.
1: (laughs) Yeah, if that sounds good to you too, go to gofreshbooks.com forward slash African Tech and put them to the test.
0: That's the week's show, folks. A big thank you to Dominique Collett uh, of Rand Merchant Investment Holdings. Glad you could be with us.
2: Thank you so much for asking me to be on the show. I really enjoyed it.
0: Absolutely. And to all of you listening, be sure to listen again next week. The next episode drops on Monday, 9 a.m. Central African time. In the meantime, it's cheers from me, Andile Demasubu.
1: And from me, just make sure you withdraw all your pistol money before 30 June. Otherwise, it's all gone. Cheers, guys.
3: Cheers. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>